Will they find a home? Sponsored by Geico. Jane doesn't mind an apartment with no elevator. Five flights of stairs is five flights of cardio. Bob is a little less enthusiastic about stairs. I hate stairs. Compromise is tough, but these two won't have to compromise when they bundle renters and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and they could save even more. In the end, Jane and Bob found an apartment that's a four-story walk-up. And Bob? Yeah, there's a freight elevator she doesn't know about. What were you talking about? Oh, uh, nothing. Bundling without compromise at Geico.com. Pat, you're in your mid-twenties, and... Uh, no, you're... I'm a little older than that right now. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I oh, apologize. you mean... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, though. Yes. I know. I use a moisturizer. Uh, let me uh, <laughs> let me rephrase that. In the 1980s, you're... Uh, what? Back in uh, <laughs> Phil- or, uh, Pennsylvania, where you grew up, uh-huh. and you are a budding, serious songwriter. Yep. Three sets of the serious stuff. Then I would do one set... Of covers, mostly Beatle covers, and uh, or you know I would do Billy Joel, uh, Only the Good Die Young, or something. Okay, so any audience kind of a lively number. Me and Julio down by the schoolyards, whatever. Yeah, and but I would not do what everybody else did. I would not do American Pie, which oh, gets the whole bar singing. And I hate the song. You hate, hate the song. I hate the guy who sings it because he's always denied. Uh, basically, if you, the the lyrical imagery in that song, he's talking about these '60s artists and he's knocking them. But history proved for the that those '60s artists were really pretty good. So his remarks about the Beatles and Dylan thinly veiled in his horrible, ambiguous poetry. I've always hated that song. See, I had no idea that he was being critical in that song. I, he and, was, because he's he's denied it. He still does, but it's just so obvious. I've seen breakdowns of the song, and it's just hilarious. You know, no kidding. Cody borrowed from James Dean, and all this stuff was just. He was really kind of uh, being snotty about the '60s and of, of history. History has proved that that stuff was pretty good. Because everybody says it's an old, it's a tribute. No, to, no, he doesn't mean it like that. He doesn't. No, no, no. no would, no. would somebody argue with you? Would it? Would a everybody? Oh, okay, of course okay. they would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then um, working at the station in Wilkesbury, I work. I'm working there five days a week. They then opened up this other part of this nightclub area for uh, um, music music acts to come through, uh, like your Warren Zevon. So I had a chance to work with Warren Zevon. Then later on in radio, I would perform with Warren Zevon and kind of be kind of befriended one of my favorite songwriters of all time. It was a great opportunity. David Bromberg. I opened up for the band at this place and they were delightfully uh, uh drugged up and uh, crazy and fun <laughs> yeah. uh but uh, Danko invited me up to New York and I would go up there and hang out with him and uh I was a part of that whole scene when I opened up for people I would be in the green room and I would meet them I would hung out with Richard Manuel the keyboard player uh 2 weeks before um he passed away in Florida wow uh, so I had a once again I'm like Zelic I'm in the, the weird moment at the right time so to speak and I'm able to now see the people that I admire, Dave Mason, and all. I'm, I'm able to open for them, and because uh, I was the guy, I was the guy who did original music, and they didn't want to cover a kid doing, you know, American Pie, or yeah. they wanted somebody, you know, to right. do a 20 minutes. They didn't want the, the guy at a bar, and I was that writer in, in, in my little neck of the woods, so to speak. So you were the go-to opener for these. Uh, I was the apps. go-to guy, yeah. and, and you're getting paid, yeah. and uh-huh. yeah. uh, making a, a a living. I'm making a living. I okay. mean, I'm not I'm not killing it, but I'm learning my craft, right? And I'm surviving, and, and uh, I'm sleeping with every waitress that works there, and I'm you know. <laughs> and Where are you I, living? Uh, geez, I was probably living in a, I was living in an apartment with one of my, one of my buddies at that okay. time. Okay, yeah, and, or I had girlfriends and stuff. I had a girlfriend, uh, Kim. Uh, mm-hmm. All of my girlfriends and wives are named Kim. <laughs> right. The first Kim, who came from Indiana, came with me to, to Pennsylvania. So she was my girlfriend for five years. And then um, when I started to perform and stuff, uh, you know, we, we just sort of broke up. And then I became a, a very reckless, a, a very reckless and wild and uh, horny young man. <laughs> Best time of my life. <laughs> you're a young musician. Uh, and it was ample opportunity to meet. I had David Cassidy hair, and I was uh, I was ripped. I still had my high school bod, which I <laughs> which I've waved goodbye to. <laughs> oh, it's in there somewhere. It's, oh, it's still there. Yeah, it's just I, it's hiding under the blue. <laughs> so I used to have a line in my act that said I have a great body underneath my body. <laughs> well, I had an ad of fat joke. I do what I've done on the show. And I, I I forget. I gained all the. Oh, I forgot what the freaking joke was. Let me. Uh, let, let's move on. Oh, okay. Sure, <laughs> I sure. forgot what the joke. Was. <laughs> 
Um, I don't worry. I often forget many of your jokes. I, so the, <laughs> they are they are instantly forgettable. You know that just reminds me that I have a gig coming up, and I better I better look at the game tape and uh, relearn my act. Yeah, we're going to start performing again, and that was a good example. There's a little line I had in my act that is completely uh, gone. <laughs> yeah. Those little those little trinkets we call them in between right. bits. Right, you have to relearn how where they go. Yes, and uh, oh, jeez, yeah. Yeah. I'm writing this down. Look at videotape before next gig. <laughs> yeah. So didn't you end up work doing some sort of work with Don McLean? Yeah, well, Don McLean came through, and uh, Jerry Sist, the owner of the station, said, do you want to open up for Don McLean? I said, uh. So you're not a fan at all. You oh, I hate him. Yeah. I've seen him uh, interviewed about the song, and I, and I, uh, and I go, oh, yes. <laughs> he goes, it's going to be packed. It'll be good. And I had the record Circle City was just being played on local radio. KRZ was the first to break it. So I had what was called a regional hit. Yeah. They, they do the local guy a favor, and they play his song, and he gets to feel like a big shot in his own little area. It is It is great. Yeah. And that trickled down. Down into Philly, and we got some good airplay. And it's actually, I'll play it for you sometimes. A very sweet little moody, uh, interesting chord changes song. It was. Is it a, out there for anyone to listen to? Uh, yeah, it's it's on. The, there's a YouTube video of me doing Circle City at King's College, which is really kind of cool. Um, it, it's it's a neat little song. It's very original sounding, and I'm surprised that I even wrote it because it just. I, I look at it now, and it's, it's intricate and it's it's thoughtful, and I go, geez, it, it, it surprises me even now to look at that song. I love when that happens. Yeah. I recently looked at a short story I wrote back in college. Right. And I was in advanced creative writing. And I, like, I was considered pretty good or whatever. Right. And I, and I read it and I went, who wrote this? Yeah, I know. It's, it, that, I love when that happens. It's well, a when, weird thing. When you put the work in and you're so passionate about stuff, then you get away from it. You go back, you look, you go, well, some of it, oh, that's crap. Then you go, whoa. Exactly. That's pretty, that's really good. That's exactly what it was. It yeah. was like uh, mining for, like you could, Mine, kind of yeah. like a pen Sift, for gold. Sifting through. Yeah, uh, you go, oh my gosh, there was some really good, yeah. I can see why my professor liked me or whatever. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and coming from a, a, a theatrical, intellectual background, too, I look back at some of the lyrics, I go, oh, geez, that's, that's really pretty good. I don't know why after doing comedy you sort of like don't, you know, because, you, you know, now we're getting laughs, and that still is a very intellectual process. Yes. But when I look back at these early original songs, a few of them go, well, geez. Yeah. There was another one I saw that I sent to my ex-wife even because I thought she'd like to hear a 22-year-old me. It was called One Past Way Too Many. Great jazz chord changes. And she's like, Jesus, that you, how old are you? I said, 22 years old. Yeah. this guy. I'm singing like I'm Tom. I wasn't singing like Tom Waits, but right. it was the wisdom. Yeah. Of, uh, one Past Way Too Many. How's a 20, titles wise. How does, how does a 22-year-old get this kind exactly. of alcoholic insight? <laughs> <laughs> Oh geez, I wonder where. But you got well, exactly. Yeah. You 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 got it. And but yeah. So I uh, I get the opportunity, so to speak, to open up for Don McLean, and uh, I oh, I go well, you know, all my buddies are going to be there. Yeah. There there so all my friends, all the music guys, uh, Parky, Tim Cross, all my buddies are going to be there, and uh, man, I'm going. Well, this is going to be exciting. I mean, and my little twenty minutes was so it was serious, but I would have funny stuff in, and I closed with a song called "Cemetery Girls," which was a sing along which is really a funny, very broad song. My first broad, funny song. Okay. Uh, and, um, and so and uh, he has a little mini band. He's got like a drummer. He's got a guitar player and a bass player, which kind of surprised me. I thought he was it was a solo thing. He had a little band. And uh, I go into the green room. We're all supposed to be in the green room. And I forgot my guitar tuner. So I say to one of the, the guitar player, hey, do you mind if I borrow your guitar tuner? And he's just the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Oh, of course, man. Yeah. Hey, good, good to have you on board. Well, have fun tonight. And I'm tuning my guitar, and in walks Don McLean. And I'm like, oh, it's Don McLean. And he is just staring. He is staring a hole right through me. He goes, what are you doing in here? I said, oh, uh, Mr. McLean, I'm your opening act. And uh, uh, my, uh, uh, what's your name? He goes, my, uh, my name is Pat. He goes, well, Pat. <laughs> and that's when, my, that's when a little switch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Pat, I want you to leave. I don't want you back here. Uh, this is our area. I said, well. I've opened up for a lot of people back here, and oh, have you? <laughs> that's how this is starting off. We haven't right. even met. Right. And uh, he goes, uh, well, I, I would just be more comfortable if you just left. You know, if you just, you know, you got, and and, and I I looked at him. I said, you got to be kidding me. There's no other place to kind of do, this is the green room. I'll go over here and not bother you. No, it, we are having an altercation. Yeah. And his band is like, they're, one of them is giggling. Because they've never seen anyone stand up to this douchebag. 
And, and I said, and by the way, American Pie sucks. <laughs> oh could, so you're you, just going you, right for the you junk. You could have written a bridge. I mean, it just goes on yeah. and on. You know, and they are, they're getting giggles and he's mad. And, and, you know, and But, but I, I did it in a way that I was be, just being a little bit of a smartass. I think I opened up with, uh, you know, you could have used a bridge, you know. <laughs> and, and to, to, but he didn't take it that way. His band did, though. <laughs> I mean, you just, you just go on and on. <laughs> it was my little way of, because I'm packing up my guitar and I'm out. And yeah. I am livid. Yeah. But by the time, uh, if the next five, ten minutes I'm being introduced and I go to myself, well, you got to, hey, you have a 20 minutes and all your friends are out there. You need to get... But uh, I'm Irish, and the, the, this when I get mad, sometimes that that burner stays on, mm-hmm. and that burner was on when I hit the stage. <laughs> and I opened up with Circle City, which they would applaud at the beginning of it, and I opened up with like the only kind of semi hit I had. And this is not really killing them because it's a really moody song; it's a ballad, you know. So, hmm. so and I'm like, oh, this was a bad way to open because my mind isn't in the game. Yeah. I should have opened with something lively. So then, right after Circle City, I go, you know what just happened. And I tell the whole story. By the way, you're about to see one of the biggest asses. <laughs> and I tell the whole story. And my my peeps, my friends yeah. are dying <laughs> yeah. that I'm being such. I said, yeah, Don McLean. And what, what's he's going to do? Starry night halfway through and then close with American Pie. <laughs> and then, of course, he is. I hope you all enjoy it. They're howling. But they're there to see Don McLean. Yeah. But I have a lot of Wooksbury, Scranton friends there. And I go about my way. And after every third song, I like we do in comedy. If you get like a little audience moment, you do a little callback to it. Yeah. You know, and that's what I was doing. I go, by the way, did I tell you the guy you're about to see? And <laughs> they would howl. So then I do Cemetery Girls and I leave myself two minutes because I had an idea. I went, and I go, you know what? We all know he's going to close with American Pie. I am so mad right now. What do you say? I F up his closing. And I'll sing American Pie right now. We all know it, right? And I launch into what I, and I'm making up, you know, you know, bye-bye, Don McLean is a dick, you know, and they're singing along, and I see this shadowy figure, because at the station, there were these little steps that went up to the dressing room, and now he is out, and but the audience can't see him, but I yeah. know that he's there on the stairs, right, so... So I, 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 the crowd's dying. I said, "I hope you enjoy Don McLean. Good night." People are clapping. <laughs> they've just seen something they they've never seen an opening act just totally ruin ever opening for anybody again. <laughs> and I walk up the stairs, and I'm going to have to curse, and you can bleep this, but this is what I actually said. Yeah, I walk up the stairs, and I look at him, and I went, "Hey, don't f- with me in my hometown." <laughs> and, and, and he just, he said nothing. 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 He said nothing. And then he went on stage and he never addressed it. And my friends to this day, they go, that was, I've never seen someone flame out. <laughs> <laughs> and how did he do? He Well, he, he, he did fine. He's done. McLean, he did yeah. fine. Yeah. And they loved American Pie when sure, it came. Sure. They wanted he, to eat. Exactly. He destroyed. It did, right. it, I didn't put a dent. I wonder if he knew he would just, he would be just fine. Uh, it, it, of course he did. And, you know, okay. I've written the story down, and I, I've, I haven't published it, but I put it on Facebook. And there was a guy who opened for him for six months who ended up teaching music somewhere who responded to me. And then he printed his nightmare of six months opening for Dominic. Wow. And it was the same thing. He goes, Pat, you couldn't have said it more, you know, uh, and he says he was so rude to me. Oh, it's such a bummer to hear. Yeah. yeah. Now, you weren't... I, I know you, and I know other, and I know how performers are. You aren't, you weren't mad that he asked for you to leave the green room per se. <laughs> you were mad the way he did it. Isn't it? There yeah. are ways to do that. There are ways to go. You know, everybody has. We we all respect people backstage in their process. Some people yes. are quiet, and some people are very chatty. And uh, we all, you know, and I can be both. If I like you, I'm too chatty. If I don't like you as a comedian, I'm quiet. So I understand that process. If somebody in management or even Don says, "Hey, you know what? I get into a thing, and I got to be by myself. Is it? Do you mind?" And I would have gone, "Oh no, totally get it. Yeah, I do not mind because you know I go either way. Sometimes I need to be left alone to focus on my act and pace, and sometimes right. I don't mind being chatty if like that's. I, it was the way it was handled. Yeah. yeah, I was working the Richmond Funny Bone, and John Witherspoon was the headliner. Mm-hmm. The oh my, and you know how great he is. Yeah, he's a how, sweet guy. Yeah, yeah, and and hilarious, and um. Uh, the manager came up to me and he said, uh, hey, you can't go in the green room this weekend. John wants yeah. it all to himself. And he and he said, I don't think he's being 
a diva. I think he's being a 70-year-old man. Or sure. And I went, it's John Witherspoon. I, he can happily, I get I, it, I'd yeah. be happy to not be in the green room or whatever. Let him have his space. Uh, he's more than earned it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so it didn't, and I he ended up giving me one of my all-time favorite, I had a really sweet moment with him. It was, we did the whole week, and then the last show, the second show Saturday, every show was sold out. Yeah. And uh, I was walking off stage, and he was walking towards the stage, and he goes, you're funny. Oh, And wow. I said, oh, John, thank you so much. Uh, I, I didn't realize you were, I actually, I called him Mr. Witherspoon. I said, Mr. Witherspoon, thank you so much. I didn't realize you were watching. He goes, no, I wasn't watching. I heard. Oh. And some people would, I think, would go, um, oh, he didn't want your act? No, <laughs> no, no, no. That meant a lot. He all he, he heard the audience and he knew that I was, he knew that went went okay. So some And people do have their process. They, uh, like I poke in, I, I want to know what the person before me is doing so that I don't step on something. And if I, we have a similar premise, then as a headliner, you move a different way. Yes. But I have a very hard time. I, I have to, I poke in and out, but I do the work. Whenever I haven't done the work, I, I you get your ass handed to you. If you're you know if you're cocky backstage, or you get too full of yourself because you've been killing for a while, you're going to have a bad show. You can never underestimate it. So I, I will always like uh, always listen listen for the laughter, poke my head in. Yeah. Everybody has their their way of, of of doing a good show. Same here. So I saw Kevin Pollock. His process was he could not bear. I saw Nick Griffin open for him, and I saw and Kevin Pollock would waltz in. Right before he went on, because that was his process, and everybody respected it. But I saw him do and not get laughs with similar Nick Griffin premises that were better written on Nick's part. And then I, Kevin probably didn't understand why it wasn't working, because part of his process didn't—he just didn't could didn't want to hear the opening act. I didn't. I don't like um, seeing the audience at all before I go on. So uh, my first, uh, because I I incorrectly. Uh, assume things. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. If there, let's say, there's an older couple, you know, in their seventies yeah. in the uh, front, I'll go. Oh, they're not going to like some of the bluer material. Yeah. This is going to, and then I'm always wrong. I'm always wrong. Uh, All, always. The, know, yeah. th- those folks w- w- loved the raunchier stuff or whatever. You yeah. Know what I, and so, I I don't like to do that, but for for the first show, but the second show, I always want to watch the. However, if I'm middling, um. And I see that a headliner has a similar premise or bit. I think it's my job as the middle to back off my bit. Then the headliner shouldn't have to make adjustments. I should. Well, it's funny when anybody's come up to me and asked me, he goes, hey, uh, is there anything? Uh, I, 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 I close with a music piece. I said, I want you to do whatever you do, and it's my job to adjust. And guys will go, oh. Wow, thank you. I do that now, yeah, too. Yeah, of course. But if I'm a middle, I feel like it's my responsibility. Oh, no, no, yeah. If when I'm headlining. It's your responsibility to at least ask. Right. When yeah. it's when I'm headlining, I let them do whatever they want. And they can't believe I allow them. And can I, sell, here. can I sell merch? Of course you can sell merch. Yes. Because I'm not. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out of personality when I'm done. <laughs> I'm horrible selling merch. <laughs> oh, I'm not good at pushing my oh. merch. But I like uh, saying hi. So you know, it's funny what you say about uh, looking at an audience because I am a looker. I'm a kind of a. I know you are. You I, and I uh, have talked. Oh, about I got this. a thing. Uh, when I first started working the ships, it threw me that everyone was older, and because uh, I'm used to the kids in the clubs and 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 a, and a wider demographic. Then with the Bob and Tom shows, it was it, it was skewered even more. You know, older, but not cruise ship old. Right. Right. So I it's my first adult show on one of the Royal Caribbean tours, and I look out at the crowd. I'm like, oh. <gasps> And we were in St. Thomas, where you can use your uh, you can use your phone. So we were just, we had an early show that was I still had phones. I still had cell service. It's very important when you work cruise ships getting your cell service. So St. <laughs> Thomas has American service. So I remember looking at the crowd. I go, they're ancient, and uh, I thought I'd check in with Tommy, Tommy G, Tom Griswold, the guy we we work with. I go, oh my god, yeah, I can't believe how old these people are. <laughs> he goes, really? Yeah, old you are. I said. Do you know they were all at Woodstock? I said, all those white-haired people that you're, they're going to understand what you're doing. Don't hold back. They've been young. They've, yep. had a, they've lived a life. They're not going to be timid. You're going to do fine. Don't give them the show you're supposed to give them. They were, and he's made a comment. They were all at Woodstock. You know, they weren't all Woodstock. <laughs> right, but, but the he, point he was making is they had their boobs out. At, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah. worried about... He goes, they were wilder than you are. Yeah. And I went, oh, 
You're absolutely right. Yeah. They ju- they just look um, 20 exactly. years older than I do. You know? Exactly. We're right. That's the thing. I, I the, the, Like I said, the assumptions I make are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and some, sometimes you can look at a drunk, chatty table and go, uh-oh, oh, that. And then they're the most focused. Exactly. You can't, yeah. Exactly. I always set myself up for disaster. That way I'm just so thrilled when the show turns out. <laughs> I am neg- I'm negative before. I'm cranky sometimes. Pat, you and I have done uh, plenty of shows together. And you, yeah, you're pacing. Uh, you, oh. you are. You, uh, there are times where it looks like you're at an open mic. For what, uh, and, and what you you know, I don't know why I'm in this business because I've lost my central nervous system. I am anxious <laughs> and I have anxiety issues to begin with. So when you throw... I can feel my blood pressure rise. I'm nervous. I said, I've done this so much. You would think I would have some, but I, no, I am a pacing. I like, what do I, I could throw this thing? I got to get, yeah. I'm like, you know, I, I still have that 20 year old uh, ambition and, and anxiety. And, and I always thought it was bad until I saw a documentary on Carson mm-hmm. where it was this, like his last week and they showed him backstage Yeah, and they were interviewing him. And he was like, he does some weird thing with the curtain and he's like, and uh, somebody said, are you still nervous? Okay. And he said to the camera or the guy doing the documentary, yeah, you know, if I wasn't nervous, I would be worried. I, Same here. That's what and he said. And I went, oh. Wow, I had no idea. He said, I've always felt like if you're not a, at the very least a little nervous, something's not right. I saw a Judy Garland documentary, and I won't use the F word this time, but she did. Um, she, they showed her right before the show. They had, and she and her, her daughter was talking about her before show. She goes, "Oh my God, it's no wonder that she was sometimes over medicate herself because she just suffered before shows, and she was so good." But the, you know, and she would grab the curtain, and her thing, her mantra before she would go on stage was, <laughs> but she'd say the f word. She'd yeah. go f them, f them, f them, <laughs> and she would pull on the car on the curtain, and then she'd be introduced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my brother and I, my brother and I, right before shows, would uh, would you uh, let's f this big? Let's that's what. All right, let's like you know. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. You know. <laughs> Anything to kind of go. Okay. Yeah. Just rem- yeah, yeah. That's I, you always make me laugh. Uh, oh, I pace like I'm about to have a baby. With and my- <laughs> more than once, will uh, some of us will be, you know, a Greg Hahn will be joking around with us or whatever, or <sighs> whatever's going on. And uh, because I'm not, I, I try to stay kind of even keeled uh, mm-hmm. when I'm before I go on. <laughs> and you're and talking with you, hey Pat, and I'll joke with you, and you go, you'll laugh, and then go, okay, I, I'm sorry, I, I have to. I have to. <laughs> It's like you you want to play along, but you are you're getting ready. I never knew how bad I was. It I, makes me laugh every time though that you're so honest about it. You go, hey, look, hey, look. I, <laughs> I never knew how bad I was until I was working in Sanibel, Florida, for my buddy John Biddle, and he had I God, I love this club, and it was so beautiful to be in that area. And uh, I go there a couple times a year just to hang. I love this the guy John Biddle too, and he had everybody through there. You know, you named Jimmy Schubert. This was the, it was a one headliner format. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, John would do. Five minutes up front. <laughs> okay. He loved comedy, but he, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he was a student of comedy, and he loved comedians. And, oh, he's the most generous guy, even to this day. He's one guy who will call me every other week just to check in. I don't, oh, cool. You know, but <laughs> we were having a conversation pre-show. And um, I just <laughs> said to him, God, you've seen everybody come through here, huh? Who You must have, boy, you must have some stories, People, the way that people prepare for a show. Because, you know, I tell you, I get a little, you know, anxious. And he didn't say anything. Yeah. And I went, who is, like, uh, like the person who's really good, but like the, the you, they're a mess before the show. And he goes, you. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, it shocked me. I was like, what? And he said something like, you're so talented. And you... You, you would think you were about to, to do your first open mic. <laughs> right. why, why are you pacing? And <laughs> I, you know, and even on the road after two weeks or something, I would sometimes and very unfortunately, uh, geez, the second show, I would just to, just to, to relieve that, I would do a shot. I would do a shot and maybe nurse a beer. You know, I, I knew never to not do that because I had family issues. I have my own issues. Uh, I, I didn't want to perform like that. Uh, certainly afterwards, I would tear it up from time to time and uh, and too much at times, but. I would start to do that. And I found early that I was funny like that. And boy, what a false, what a fool's gold that is. <laughs> yes. to do, a, do a shot, a, a hooch, and then just be like my uncle, reckless at a wedding. Hey! You know? And that anxiety goes away, and now that the devil's out, you know? <laughs> right. I've never tried to do it. I've never tried to dampen the anxiety. 
before a show. Yeah, and I, I I did, and I was you're you know the funny thing is that you're effective in the beginning, and then it's the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. Then you have the one show where you're over the line, and you're like, holy Jesus, because I've worked with so many people that I've seen trip and fall on stage and forget their acts. It's hard to watch. It is hard to watch. Yeah. Road comedy's hard, and it really takes its toll. The boredom, the loneliness, and I understand why I and other people. You know, would just get themselves in tough positions because it's it's a lonely it's a lonely ride. You know, and uh, boy, yeah, and and I, and, yeah, I've seen people cross the line, and it is it's it's sad to watch. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because you know you're exactly you're not just watching. Um, when you see somebody perform like that, you're not watching. Oh, he's drunk. You're watching. Oh, he's been on the road and he's sad. And there's lo- it's everything that you just said. It's all it's, it's all there. visible. Yep, it's all there. Yeah. I remember performing uh, after my dad's, uh, I missed my dad's memorial because my dad's motto would have been the show goes on. So I was obviously at the funeral and everything. But then they uh, cremated him and they had a second memorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had to work. I couldn't. Uh, and, you know, it was actually the place that we tease you about in Toledo where I was on stage in paired second show. And I was uh, falling apart at the seams. I was... Talking about my dad and, you know, and when I was getting divorced, I was always pretty funny on stage because people would love to, my friends would love to see me perform during the breakups. They say, oh God, I would love to watch you just, you'd be just insane talking about her for 20 minutes and just killing, you know, but when my dad passed away, it was different because there was nothing funny about that. And I'm on stage talking about it. Yeah. Oh man, that did not go well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll probably come, we'll, we'll probably hit that a little harder coming up here. Sure. Um, so uh, let's see where I, I, some of this we might cut and then move to oh, sure. when we're talking more stand up yeah. stuff. So where did we kind of go timeline wise? Well, Todd Glass got me to do the okay. open mic. Todd Glass, uh, finally after two years of cajoling and hanging out with me and being like his presence on stage was fantastic. Uh, I, I, he was a he was just a bold guy. I used to watch him do comedy. And go God, I can. He just had it. Yeah. He was a student of it. He started when he was 16 at the Comedy Works in Philly. And this is before Todd goes to L.A. And he drags me um, to an open mic. It's at the Comedy Factory outlet. And this is run by uh, John DeBella, the morning guy at uh, WMMR, which is the biggest radio station, uh, AOR station in the country. It won a bunch of awards. They're still there. Same people are still there. And DeBella is, of course, in a duel with Howard Stern and beating him handily. The morning zoo is huge, and he's the host okay. of the open mic. And <laughs> and uh, Todd goes, look, just be yourself. You put your little impressions together. The voice is going to get the laugh, and uh, just be yourself. So I did. Uh, I did uh, Billy Joel. I did a Tom Petty. I did. Uh, I did a Michael McDonald. I, I just strung seven or eight things together. And sometimes you get lucky on your first time out there. And uh, Debella's. Uh, uh, here's how Debella introduced me. I've done a lot of these open mics, and these guys with guitars, they're either uh, really good or uh, they suck. <laughs> so let's see if this guy sucks. <laughs> Pat Godwin. <laughs> this is the guy I end up working with. Yeah. And I uh, strung some impressions together without any jokes. I think I would mumble, yeah, uh, uh, Tom Petty, oh, that's a lyric. That was like my, that was like the hook. I would, right, right. I would do, do a- affectations of Van Morrison or that that's a lyric. But for some reason, it got a laugh. Sure. Because the impression was really strong at that yeah. time. Because I focused on him. Um, now now I'm just like kind of content heavy and not focusing sometimes on the impression. And Tom will often tell me, hey, lose the impression. We can't hear what you, you know. So I, I do a <laughs> mixture. But back then I was trying to nail it. And then DeBella, like it worked. Oh, yeah, yeah, five minutes. I did, you know. Uh, and he could tell that I was a mu- musician, too. And he was, like, really impressed by the craft. But I was not a comedian. Yeah. And he says to me, hey, you think you can do these funny songs, like, on a regular basis? <laughs> and I lied. I said, yes. <laughs> Show up on Monday. And I had a radio gig. Wow. Yeah. And it, I, I went, what? Yeah. And in the beginning, I would just do little studio things. And then they turned out to be really good. Because I just focused on comedy writing. And they were, uh, I wanted it to be all original in the beginning. And he was fine with that. But then, because he knew I did the voices, he would shift me to the side of the devil, the parody side, you know. And uh, I've never been one to think of parodies, even though we'll take a quick one and do them on our show now, obviously. Uh, It's not where my mind goes first. 
But uh, this is, you know, it's kind of like my day job. They work for radio in that limited function. Mm-hmm. And DeBella also knew, you know, where his, his bread was buttered. You know, you did that Billy Joel thing. You think you can do a little thing? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I started to then get a better salary and then come on board full time. All from your first open mic? First open mic. Wow. And I went back and did my second open mic that Keith Robinson hosted, and I ate it. <laughs> Do you think everybody, almost everybody I've talked to, and this is definitely my experience, my first open mic, I did really well, and the second ate it I'm hard. T- you, oh, it was terrible. And and I, and and for those of maybe same material, same stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started to add what I thought were funny songs, and I didn't have a grasp of that yet. I okay. Didn't, I was not in front of people to get la- laughs. I was getting laughs on my own terms in controlled environments that I controlled for four hours. I wasn't, hey, you got five minutes, laugh. That pressure, like, oh, God, I, you know, that was tough on me because I didn't, I was a guy who'd sneak up on you in the club, but I was not a five-minute comedian, and, I, and to this day, I'm really still not. Yeah, uh, but man, I I think I ate it the next three times because Clay Harry would uh, say to the guy who ran this club, the Comedy Factory outlet, he would say, you know, come back for now that you're on the show, you'll come back for open mics. And man, I was I was going, <laughs> I was eating, eating it. It's a good. Th- it's the way I think. I kind of look at it as the comedy gods going. All right, so you go out for your first time, you kill, and then and and part of you wants to go. Oh well, I got this. Yeah, what's so hard about this? And then when you bomb that second time, and then a lot of even the third, it's the comedy gods going, no, no, this is work. <laughs> You're not. This isn't an easy ride. Well, this club also is the easiest club in the country. It's where Dice Dice came up, Tim Allen, everybody. I mean, this club was the premier club of of Philly. Harry Anderson would come through with his magic act, and, mm-hmm. and I saw all those guys at that time before they had TV shows. Just Seinfeld, everybody came through this club. It, it was tiny and had like little Greek Greek seating. I bet it was great. You could not. You had to be pretty crappy, like my second open mic. I got lucky that first one because the crowd was easy, and you know they, the belly Joel was dead on, and I was you know, I had no content. So yeah. when you when you strip the veneer of the, the impression away, like that's the, the second time I tried to you know to, to, <laughs> to talk a little more, <laughs> yeah. uh, that didn't go well. <laughs> so then uh, I was. So you're doing the radio? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. Then I had this uh, radio gig that you know it's like you write a check with no money in the bank, and then hope hopefully you think well uh, the money will come in. So you know it was a very reckless thing to say yes, but probably the best decision of my life because. Oh God, the 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 laughter uh, was just so much be- better uh, entertainment-wise than uh, playing the serious musics in the clubs. Uh, I got more of a kick out of how hard it was and how good I was getting at it. Um, by by the more I started to understand the process and respect it. Yeah, so and you're re- yeah learning radio and stand up at the at same the same time. time as, yeah, with with major cats though. I mean, I mean, yeah, this show. Every day. I mean, I think my second, my first week, second week, uh, Billy Crystal was in Seinfeld, Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. Because we, you know, uh, these people were just coming up in the business at the time. Mm-hmm. We're talking 89.90 when I started with them. And this show uh, had some major power to it. I mean, I got an okay salary just for doing a couple songs, which actually was the first time I was ever employed or, I, you know, paid t- you know, it was paying into Social Security and stuff. It was just kind of interesting for a, a, this kind of wandering troubadour. All right. of a sudden, I have, I have a gig. Yeah. And it's a gig, like, on a big level. Shirley MacLaine is there. And, you know, it's like every day is something because Philly is the fourth largest market. And we had these huge guests, you know. Are they coming in or are they on the phone or both? No phone. We, we didn't do phoners. They, people came in. John DeBella rarely, unless it was like his favorite Peter Gabriel or something. Yeah, but we would have uh, the Grateful Dead was uh, was big. That one of the them would all wouldn't wander. And Brian Wilson came in. This is what my experience was. It was all of a sudden I was in uh, in this situation. Yeah, and I'm like, you rise to the occasion when you're in that situation. I would spend just the rest of the day. We all had an agreement with each other that none of us who were all partiers at this time would uh, touch a drop of alcohol until the weekend. And that was our agreement with each, which, with, 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 with everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was. Because we said, we, we, this is, we're in the big leagues. Stern is nipping at our tails. It was his first syndicated market. And we had, we'd show up for a meeting at five. We were all kind of taxied or limoed to our job. It was very cushy. Yeah. Because Stern was, he, was huge at this time in New York. And we were his first syndicated market. And he was gunning for DeBella. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, it, so it, 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 the stakes were high, 
And I just thought, man, I don't even belong here. I'm not even a comedian. I just wrote my ass off and would come in at the meeting at 5 o'clock, tell him what I had. And, you know, he did what Tom and I kind of do. Tom, he did, developed it in write or edit like Tom and I will do that together. Yeah. Uh, but he would like, nah, yeah, nah, you know, that kind of a thing. Okay. And then I would probably do a song, song a break or something or an hour. We also played four songs, four rock and roll songs. So we didn't have the kind of show that we, we have now. With the Bob and Tom. Yeah. We had a very cornball uh, morning show with the prank phone calls, and I would do my little song. And mm-hmm. then we'd play four rock and roll songs an hour, too. So there was time to write also in those moments. You know, we, there was downtime. Yeah. So really pretty cool, though. How, how many years did you do that? Six. Yeah, six. So, and, and are you hitting the road doing stand up at the same time, or are you just absolutely, all local? Absolutely not. Okay. I would do just, I would do a Friday and Saturday at the co- Comedy Cabaret, the Comedy Factory outlets, maybe something in Baltimore because that was an hour and a half drive. Yeah. Wilmington, half hour, you know, things like that. Uh, I would uh, just, uh, Friday and Saturday, we'd meet back at my place. Uh, we would drink our asses off. We'd rehab on Sunday, back to work on Monday. It was just, you know, we were like these weekend warriors. And in that period of time, I got pushed up to be a headliner. And uh, I didn't have 45 minutes. I had songs that I was accumulating, but I did not have any uh, finesse or, you know, I had some presence on stage. But, you know, it, if I wasn't on the radio, it would have be, it would have not been, an, it, you know, I only developed the act after we all got fired six years later. And I went on the road for the Comedy Zone and was forced to do real comedy for a couple of years all throughout the South at all the Comedy Zone stuff. And that's where I really grew and learned the craft of that. Okay. Even my six-year tenure at WMMR, I really was just a weekend, uh, you know, it was kind of like a side thing for me. Although I really, I did pay attention to it quite a bit, you know. But it was uh, not, I didn't get good good and or bomb-proof until we got, I got fired and was forced to be a real comedian, doing it all the time. Who were uh, some some people that were coming into the radio show that you just loved? You you were excited to meet and- Randy Newman mm-hmm. uh, because I was such a huge fan, and I had written he had made a comment about Brian Wilson that his album wasn't being promoted. Uh, they were both in Warner Brothers, and we know that Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys has, is has issues and stuff. Yeah, and <laughs> Randy Newman said in Rolling Stone, uh, yeah. They did, uh, they're not putting a whole lot of money into my new album. They're putting money into Brian Wilson's album, which is recorded. They just stuck a microphone in front of him and said, sing, potato, sing. The man's a vegetable. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So I wrote a song called Sing, Potato, Sing mm-hmm. in Randy Newman style. <laughs> we didn't know that Randy Newman would listen to radio. And he he was had a way to listen at that point at Warner Brothers. And he heard about this Sing, Potato, Sing. And we had a chance to interview him. And Randy added a verse to it, and we had a chance to sing it and perform it together. Unbelievable. And he he was the funniest. He was fantastic. And he, because I wrote the song, he said the lick that I had was a pretty cool little piano lick. And I'm I'm a piano basher. He's an actual piano player. Mm-hmm. I write on the piano. I write on the guitar. You know, even when we record now, I leave it to the professionals. I stay out of it. I just use those instruments to write with. I'm not technically uh, 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 that good. Randy is. But Randy said to me, he goes, that piano riff you had, boy, I wish I had that. You know, he, I said, really? Because that's a good that's a good riff. But you work the pedal too hard like I do. And I, you know, he was just funny like that. And then we would go on the air with him. And it was just like, that's my favorite interview of all time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember him knocking on you two. Well, yeah, Bono, the... <laughs> they're talking. They're, ta- they're talking against war. I guess right. Like like who's for? You know, like, who's for war? He would he would knock. He was so funny about uh, ELO. He was he would he would he would he would rag on them. I found him to be incredibly charming and funny. <laughs> he talked about the natural because he did the soundtrack. Yeah, natural. Yeah. So uh, he was telling us on air that he had an argument with Redford because uh, when the lights flash in that one mm-hmm. scene. Uh, I wrote trumpets and horns, and Redford said, "No, I, I, Redford said I don't, I don't want those instruments in there." And I said, "What do you want to, me to put in there? A kazoo?" <laughs> <laughs> I remember little things like that, like his inside showbiz stuff. Yeah, and he talked about his dad because his dad and his uncles uh, write the soundtracks. Lionel Newman and all those guys. If you ever see the Newman name, he has a lot of family that that came up in in the business. He always was looking for his um, his dad to approve of him, and he was telling us this great story in our production room, not on air, because we were listening to It's Money That Matters, which was one of his hits. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said he did the video, and he played it for his dad. And he goes, my dad said, 
Do you have a cold? <laughs> he goes, oh, he can still hurt me to this day. No kid. Yeah. Do you have yeah. a cold? Randy Newman, obviously the nasal. He's been singing like that. Right. For, Do you have a cold? Oh. And I remember going, God, I love this guy. Yeah. 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 People like that. And then on the other hand, there were people that were, you know, oh, geez. Yeah. And those stories are less interesting to me. I, yeah. I know there's a. Oh, I know. I know there's a. a there's a, the flip side to it. There's a yeah. public craving for. Uh, yeah. Man, who was the biggest jerk? Yeah. Was, I like to scream a, a joy about the ones that were just, uh, would shock me about Paul right. McCartney. So sweet. Eric Clapton. I thought that was going to go weird. And it was just, he was just the sweetest guy. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 I had a lot of wonderful experiences. Yeah. A plus celebrities you're you're dealing with daily. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we, we were. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was kind of mind blowing. You know, Seinfeld would come through before his uh, TV show. Uh, he had been on Cars the night before, did the red eye, and was gracious enough to get up. And Dennis Miller, who I loved, came in and did mm-hmm. our show. And it was interesting to see. Uh, I remember Debella saying to him, uh, "Hey, can you uh, can you do that news thing you do for me?" And I remember uh, Dennis shaking his head like uh, he didn't want to work. Him taking a newspaper, circling stuff, writing some stuff down, and he kills it for us in ten minutes' time. While a song was being played, he wrote out like a an update for us. Wow. Because Debella said. Hey, can you? And I remember the look on Dennis Miller's face, who I just adored, and I still do. I just love his writing. I, yes, li- I like here, the yeah. albums, and I was uh, really thrilled to meet him. And he uh, and he just did this for us right on the spot. It was interesting. And Gilbert Gottfried would come through and kill Bobcat. It's a know. tough question to if if we were in here uh, and Dennis Miller walked in and Tom said, "Hey, what, Dennis, why don't you write a?" Um, oh. Tom wouldn't do this. No, but if he's a, hey, why don't why. Uh, why don't you write us a, a quick weekend update? We would, oh man, we we would all cringe because we go, oh, this guy got up early to come in. He's not. He just wants to hang and talk. Well, you know, <laughs> here's what here's what here's what Debella would do. He goes, if we had somebody, we would hear from the publicist. Elvis Costello's not playing. Alice Cooper's not playing. Uh, John Anderson from Yes isn't playing. And Debella would go, hey, give him the god. Pete Townsend is not playing. He doesn't want to play in the morning. It's not for the right time for his voice. And Debella would go to me, you got this? I said. I got this. So we'd have the guitar and the piano. Pete Townsend from The Who, for example. Yeah. Uh, we're over in London doing a series of live shows, and I'm writing a song about a guy who had sex with a cat on us on the tube, <laughs> and I remember scribbling away and singing this thing, and I know if someone's sitting next to me, but I'm not really concerned with it. And and I'll, Pete Townsend says, are you allowed to write that? You know, I said, he, he was like, he, he heard me singing something about the cat. Yeah, it's kind of my, my job. And he laughed and he yeah. laughed. So we created something before we went on the air. Yeah. Because he was shocked that I was, are you guys allowed to get away with that? And I said, yeah. We go on the air and Debella gives me like the wink that, that Townsend doesn't see because he wants them to play. Yeah. And I have my black Takamini there. And uh, I go, you know, Pete, I love the opening to Pinball Wizard. It's very Baroque. Those chord changes are wonderful. But I've always struggled with, and then and I remember him furrowing his brow and watching my hands, right? So I play the opening to it, and I know the opening to it. I nailed it. And halfway through, he goes, you know it. <laughs> he goes, and he, and he goes, he grabs the guitar from me and plays Pinball Wizard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just moments like that so where great. we would trick, we would trick, we tricked Eddie Money into playing because uh, the piano and the and the guitar were there, and uh, he had said, "Okay, I'll do two tickets to Paradise for you." Hey, yeah, they'll have this guy yeah, play guitar. Make sure you get really bang, and I'll play the piano. And we, he did two tickets to Paradise on piano. Yeah. So we would get people because the 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 the, the instruments were there to kind of do stuff they weren't ready to do. They, you know what? But they love doing. They love. So it. that's the that's the key. There is you you would trick them. Yes, but. Deep down, it's who they are. It's what they do. It's what they love. Well, you always do when someone says science. You go, science. And this course, it's from a Thomas Dolby song. Yeah. And we had him on, and he refused to play because he was a craftsman in the studio and still is. And that was where his art form came from was the studio. He wasn't necessarily a live performer. Mm-hmm. But Debella had said, hey, why don't you, uh, you and Pat put together a little promo for us. I remember Dolby, like, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it at all. But darn it, if he didn't, uh, if he, we didn't go next door and he got the drum machine and did some, and we did like a little jingle together and, and it was wonderful. Wow. And, uh, but he did it on his own terms. He went to the other room for 20 minutes and we crafted this little thing and he came back with like an MMR jingle that they use forever. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever you say science, I always, I always go back to that moment <laughs> yeah. with Dolby refusing to perform. That's there was, great. There, there were fun times. Now, uh, when, when Miller came in, he teased you a little bit, right? Yeah. yeah. I love this. Well, I, <laughs> because Miller talks about this now. Yeah. He loves goofing around with comedians and he's a ball buster and he loves 
He he loves that camaraderie. Well, the night before he did our show, I opened for him at the TLA. And my act was not conducive to, to opening. Uh, people would say, you make it messy out there. You turn it into a bar, not a comedy club. <laughs> and they're absolutely right. It can, it's, yes, that can happen. It, it can happen. Right. It's a raucous, raucous barroom comedy. Right. Which is, so... <laughs> Uh, Dennis Miller came in for the last uh, the last uh, thing, which at that time was that Springsteen improv bit, which always did pretty well. Mm-hmm. And see, so he saw it messy and kind of a. So I had the <laughs> I had the guitar around my and I and he always would introduce himself like he didn't know him. It was this, hey hi uh, I'm Dennis Miller. And I go yeah 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 and he and what's your name and he looked down at my guitar Hank. <laughs> And, and I laughed, and uh, he didn't say like "good job." He just went. He walked away. That's thought, his way of that, saying "good job." So the, right. the, the next morning, he came in, and uh, I'm dressed differently. And he has no. And I could tell that he probably may have gone out with his wife afterwards, and he maybe he could have been a little hungover and smelling uh, of either uh, cologne that had alcohol that had alcohol. <laughs> okay. I sensed a presence. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was hungover, <laughs> yeah. but still very, very funny. And uh, so he does the same kind of intro to me. He goes, uh, Hi, I'm Dennis Miller. And I he went. Not re- he didn't recognize you? From nope. A- okay. No. I said, yeah, I know. I met you last night. My name's Hank. <laughs> he goes, I deserve that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he killed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, DeBella sometimes wasn't as knowledgeable as, as we were. I'll give you an example. Tim Allen is at uh, the Comedy Factory Outlet. Mm-hmm. And I got to get up the next day, but I get a call from Clay Hurry, the owner. You got to come down and see this guy. He's got to be on the show tomorrow. I've never seen an act like this. This guy has everything in its place. Now, I saw it on Wednesday night, and I just thought, but it, it, he, this is a hell of an act. You got to have him on the show. So I drag my ass down to three blocks to the Comedy Factory Outlet, and I see uh, Tim Allen before home improvement. Yeah. Before anything. Just a road warrior out of Detroit. Yeah. Kill with that act. Women are men are pigs. Yeah, I was, and I, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All all the all the stuff you see in that first special that home improvements based on, and I'm like, holy man, holy crap! And he introduces we get introduced. He was a drinker then. I had to get up in the morning, and he had said to me, "Hey, hey, uh, yeah, I would really love to do your show tonight. You want to go out for a drink?" I said, "I can't, but you you're on the show. You're, you're on the show. Well, he's on the he's at the Days Inn on uh, on uh, Delaware Avenue. And he goes, he gives me the number and everything." And, okay, uh, I, I just got to talk to my guy, and uh, I'll give you a bus in the morning. You get in the cab. We'll probably see you about 7 o'clock. He goes, great. Thank you so much for being able to promote the show. D- Tim Allen is just being nice and kissing ass in a great way and wanting to be a buddy and because he, yeah. he was a guy's guy. Yeah. And uh, we have our meeting at 5, and I go, and I start off the meeting. Oh, my God. Clay had me come down and see this Tim Allen guy. And uh, me, you cannot believe how good this guy is. So I think we should probably have him on the show. And DeBella goes, oh. So you're booking the show now? He said, no. Clay had me come down and I talked to Clay. Yeah. I'm not going to wake up, Clay. You're not booking the show. I can't have people I don't know on the... I said, John, this guy's great. I've already told him he could go. Well, you're going to have to tell him he's not... So I have to call Tim Allen at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning at the hotel and tell him, I go, hey, I'm really sorry, but DeBella doesn't want to have you on. And he was real gracious. Tim Allen... Six months away from doing home improvement, I have to tell him he can't do our morning zoo show. <laughs> wow. So home improvement comes out. What does is, what is Debella say or what well, do you say to him? Well, I would bust his ass. Yeah. Right? Did you see home improvement, the number one show the other night with that <laughs> Tim Allen? Have you seen Santa Claus? <laughs> Because you have to understand it, when home, pro- when home Improvement came out, he had home run after a home yes. run. This is yeah. before Toy Story, because we're going back to yeah. But I would just go, yeah, Home Improvement, because it was the number one show in the country. Yeah. And he obviously was still doing clubs, but had the development deal, and he must have had the pilot in the can. But he wasn't talking about that. He just wanted to promote the, the show, because he had a door deal at yeah. the Comedy Factory Outlet. But t- t- telling Tim Allen he can't do our show. <laughs> what a bummer. <laughs> And I've almost run into him because he uh, he would hang out at the Comedy Castle up in uh, Detroit and stuff, and I'd like miss him by a week. I always wanted to kind of see him and apologize and kind of laugh at that story. Yeah, but I never was able to run into him at any. Oh, he's huge, obviously, but he, he wouldn't make appearances up in Detroit from I'd, time to time. I'd like to think that he would put, he would pat you on the shoulder and go, "Everything worked out." <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything. I have never felt. Oh my god. Yeah, that's tough. You know, uh, Debella didn't know who Bill Hicks was. Okay. So uh, I remember we had the cast of Oak Calcutta in, and they're all naked. 
and it's Bill Hicks. And he had an album out that I just adored. And I told John all about it. And John did allow Bill Hicks, so he did not know. This is a year before Bill Hicks passes away. So he's probably 31, mm-hmm. 30 or 31. And he's not sick yet. And uh, <laughs> and I didn't know that he was a guitar player and enjoyed music and stuff. So uh, we have the cast of Oh, Calcutta. And there are naked women all around me as I'm singing a parody of Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, Calcutta, where the, you know. And... <laughs> And I, as I'm singing, I see Bill Hicks in like a, a like a window that we have in the studio, peering in and looking at the naked women and me. And he, <laughs> I, we don't know each other, and he's shaking his head, looking at me, going, "He's really being funny." Yeah. Oh, okay. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then he makes the door opens, and he's introduced to all of us, but he makes a beeline for me. I got the guitar. Yeah. And I guess he just got up and he just said. This is how you make a living. <laughs> naked women. Oh, Calcutta. I said, yeah. And he was fantastic. Yeah. And then he ended up hanging out with us and like talking music and stuff with me and the production guy, Steve. And a year later, he passes away of pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Boom, at 32. Yeah. Yeah. The world just got to know him. Just, yes. You know, before yeah. he passed away. Just, yeah, it was just, it's the oddest thing for him now. I hear young comedians. I have a friend who writes Bill Hicks in his hand every time to get the, uh, before he does a show. Just to remind him to stay true to his art, to be dark. Don't be afraid of being dark. Don't be afraid of being yourself. Yeah. Don't be afraid of taking chances. Because he would alienate. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and he took some chances. And he write, my friend writes Bill Hicks in his hand. And I've never had, you know, there are some stories I don't tell because people just don't believe them. It's a younger comedian, and I go, eh, and I almost, you know, I, I, I forget it. He's not, you know, I actually met Bill Hicks. Yeah. These kids, what? Because you know how the younger guys, they adore the Mitch Hedbergs and, and Bill Hicks, of course. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So when you, you should tell, share that story with those guys because- you you would love hearing those stories. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But some there are sometimes you know even when I'm watching TV, like uh, my ex wife and I, she would play the game if there was a show on a sitcom or on. All right, who opened for you? Who do you know? Oh, that guy opened for me back in Minnesota. Yeah, I know you. <laughs> and she always got a kick out of it. And then sure. I would be real honest with her. Do you know that? No, I never met that person. Because there's some people that you know, like Robin Williams. All of my friends have met. I never ever got it close but every all of my friends have like a robin williams story yeah you know? yeah so it's it's interesting when you can look at tv and see your buddies or people that have opened for you and you kind of get a little jealous sometimes you go, or you or you think oh geez maybe i should have stayed out in la a little bit longer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who uh do you still want to meet oh man that's an excellent question who do i still want to meet i mean i think there are some people that have passed away i would have loved to have met I would have loved to have met Richard Pryor because I listen to his Mudbone stuff or anything by him, and I uh, I have uh, it's hard on me because it's so good. I honestly uh, I want to quit sometimes. I listen to it. I go, my God, that long form comedy. He, I listen to some of those things, and I'm such a fan. If I had a chance to to just meet him, because I've almost met I've met Paul McCartney there. You know, I've met like a lot of people. Yeah, I I've pissed Elton John off twice in my life, <laughs> and Elton John. No, I have. I swear to God, I got to meet my idol twice and accidentally blew it the first time and then really blew it the second time. <laughs> well, you've got to tell us. Well, uh, we're in London, uh, the time that I, the Pete Tom Townsend story I just told you, and we're at the airport, and he, it was his, I, ti- I, I got the timeline right. This is three months before he gets sober. Uh, he was working the Reading Music Festival, and uh and uh, my buddy, we called him the Beastmaster, was our intern. Mm-hmm. And he's in front of me in line at British Airways. And okay. we're, we're flying to Paris. We're on vacation now for two weeks. <laughs> we're going to be a weekend in Paris and a weekend in Nice. And I'm traveling with an ugly American. He's, <laughs> but he's hilarious. Yeah. But he's loud. Hey, it's Robert Plant. And sure enough, <laughs> Robert Plant is walking down over here because it was a Reading Music Festival. Yeah. And I did see Robert Plant, but at first I thought he was messing with me. Oh, you're right. That is Robert Plant. <laughs> yeah. now, he knew Elton John was, I was, this is how I, why I started in this business. Yeah. It was Elton John. He goes, and he, he turn, turns around looking at me because our line ain't moving. He goes, Elton John's behind you. I went, yeah, Elton John's not <laughs> behind me. And I turn around, and Elton John is behind me with a hat on, a long build cap that said boy toy. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, he couldn't be more Elton and, John. <laughs> and many, I, and me, a bedazzled boy toy with a long bill. Yeah. And he looks rough. Okay. Uh, I think the wig is askew. <laughs> there are many valises around him, and he, and he is by himself, and he is irritated. Okay. And I see someone back at the British Airways behind the counter, like this. Oh, 
and they're 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 getting it together, and they're doing this and this, and, yeah. And uh, he shouldn't be in line with and, everybody. And my else. friend Howard, the Beastmaster, Howard Lavin, goes, "Yeah, you, you got to get his autograph." He, no, no, just leave him alone. Leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. And Howard goes, "No, you can't let this moment go." <laughs> <laughs> and I go, "No, don't." The little so, devil on your shoulder. Well, uh, during the meantime, Elvis, uh, Elton, Elvis, <laughs> Elton, he was Elvis at that yeah, time. Yeah, he was. To me. <laughs> he, he has, he's gathered his valises, valises, many valises, and uh, <laughs> and he has like a, a handbag up here and a purse over here and bags. Just juggling all Yes, these. and uh, my buddy goes, hey, he calls him Mr. John. Mr. John, uh, <laughs> can we get your autograph? And I turn around and he <laughs> loses it. He, he curses. He's throwing crap. <laughs> he's throwing everything around. And he's and Howard grabbed. I don't know where he grabbed. I, I, I don't know where he grabbed a piece of paper. I have the autograph. He, 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 he gave him a blank piece of paper. I, don't, I think we had to wait for that. And Elton is livid. <laughs> and he scrubbles this thing and he throws it at us. He picks up his valises and he went on his many, merry way. And, uh, and Howard goes, you got your autograph. Got, that's not the experience I wanted no. with him. Now. <laughs> I go, I go to L.A. Uh, for the third time. Uh, L.A. three, Pat Godwin zero. <laughs> so, so I go to L.A. the third time, and my adorable girlfriend is working on Rodeo Drive, and they're having their Christmas party at Mr. Chow, which oh, is famous, wonderful, yeah. great Chinese food. And uh, she says, Pat, we're going to rip it up. Uh, come at 11 and you know, gather me and throw me in the car, and we'll go home. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, you guys, you girls have a, have a great time. It's their Christmas party. So I walk into Mr. Chow, and next to my girlfriend's rowdy table is the sober Elton John, <laughs> his future husband, husband Mark, and another gentleman who I don't know. There's three men there. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, I go, and my girlfriend is sitting right next. Her back is to Elton John. Okay. And, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, Elton John. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I sit down next to my girlfriend. And now uh, Elton John is right here. The, the tables are very close together. They're not right now due to what they do the, the conditions of the corona. But then, then people were close sure, to yeah, each other. Yeah. So I, I said to my girlfriend, Kim, they're all named Kim. <laughs> yeah. This is Kim Rubin. said, do you know that Elton John is right next? Yeah, he's really nice. We were talking to him earlier. You guys are a little loud. Are you annoying there? Too? No, no, he's, he's really cool. You should say hi. And at that moment, I went, you know. I'm not going to bring up the uh, the uh, uh, the Heathrow incident at right. British Airways, right? But what the hell? I'll try again, and I go. Um, Elton, can I call you? Elton? Why, why, of course. And uh, I go. This is going well. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean. I don't mean. And and he is uh, he is eating. And I don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. But it, I I just want to be really brief. I just want to tell you that you're the reason why I'm here. You're the reason why I do what I do, and I just wanted to thank you for that. I've, and everyone, like, they all light up. What a nice thing to say. Yeah. That's very nice. Thank you very much. What's your name? My name's Pat. I just want to tell you, you're the reason why I do what I do. He says, what do you do? I said, funny music. <laughs> and he gets, his face goes red. What? Funny music. And everybody at his table gets quiet. His future husband gets quiet. And it's on. He is pissed. I said, well, no, no, no. what about my music um, uh, will, will, will make you think it's funny? I said, no, 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 no. Do you think I'm funny? Said, well, I've seen your interviews. You can be very, very, very funny. Is my music funny to you? He is. It's like the Joe Pesci thing, but he ain't messing with me. He's really, really mad. And then I thought, oh, God, I could save this. And this may sound jokey. And I said, well, you know, in your song, your opening line is, it's a little bit funny. And it gets nothing. It gets nothing. It gets nothing. Yeah. And he is mad. And he goes, uh, well, it's a pleasure meeting you. Like that. And I swivel my chair around and I went, that's, to- I totally pissed off Elton John a second time. I remember that he ate fast like Tom does. All, uh, the, you know, certain people, like Elton John was really enjoying his food. I just remember looking over and oh, scarfing yeah, really, up really food like he just got out of jail. Yeah. <laughs> I just had lunch with Tom today, and I remember I forgot how fast he eats. Yes, yeah. We, I think we are. I think our lunch lasted three minutes. I'm not even joking. <laughs> we ate and we he was up and out. all right. I, we're not even talking. I got songs to run by you. Yes, because a lot of we go to his favorite place and they know his order, so they don't even. Yeah. There's, there's no talking during that. They just bring 
He just brings he, what he, he wants. He eats like he got out of jail. Yeah. He takes three phone calls. Hold on. I got yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be one of his children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I pissed off Elton John twice. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. So how did this uh, come to an end? You, you've alluded, you, well, you've said you all were fired. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Stern uh, f- finally beat us. Okay. And, and beat us good. But we're still number two. And when you're number two in the market, you can still bill at a pretty good rate for advertising. Yes. So there was no reason to panic. But our radio station panicked. This would have been 94. And so WMMR uh, had a contract with DeBella, who's making probably $1.3 you know. And we were all, uh, as side people, doing pretty well. Uh, but our contracts weren't as secure. Mm-hmm. So everybody was let go, and DeBella stayed and tried a thing called Sports Rock, which he did with a local sports uh, uh, newscaster. Um, and that was Pat Croce. I don't know if you know who Pat Croce is, but he owned the 76ers for a while. Okay. And has a bunch of restaurants. But, I mean, you know, uh, people like that. Um he did a sports rock show and that that failed, but they he ran out his contract. I got you. he now works across the street, I think, at Eagle 106 or Magic 106 or something. He's at a different station now in the morning. He's still there doing radio. Yeah. So we all got fired. And then at that point, Stern, who had done a funeral party for us and uh, 40,000 people out in front by the Liberty Bell uh, while we're upstairs, you know, and uh, he came into town and it was his first funeral. And uh, he called him Baldy, and they had a bald, uh, uh, a bald uh, mannequin in the coffin. And uh, oh man, oh it was ugly. And yeah. Bella just refused to fight back. And that's the so it was a very very awkward time. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that my brother is a, has a relationship with John DeBella's ex-wife, uh, soon to be ex-wife, which made it very uncomfortable for me to work with John. And when my brother is sleeping with his ex-wife, so it was a wonderful time in my life. Thank God we got fired because we would have killed each other. <laughs> I go to I, I get a phone call from Stern's people, specifically Gary Delabate, Baba Booey. Yeah, and he goes, you know, did you notice Howard never? Ever because he used to t- go after our show and John, uh, but you know, and Gary calls me up. He finds me somehow. He, he knew that we were all fired and says, "Do you know Howard never went after you? Because uh, he really likes your work. Would you like to do stuff for us?" I said, "Yes." Okay. So I um, he was talking about Aaron Neville and that thing on his face, and my first thing for them when was, "What is that thing on Aaron Neville's face?" Which he played. Uh, constantly, he just loved that song. Took took me with him on many trips. Uh, he would fly places, and th- he was now beating everybody. So his next uh, conquest was Cleveland, and I went on the plane there and did that, and did a couple songs in the live thing. I would do the E show, and I would send him uh, songs uh, goofing on uh, Baba Booey and people, uh, Fred, and it would be very, it would be stuff that was just about their show. Yeah, nothing I could use in my act. Uh, but Did you say, moved to New York City? Uh, no, no. I was just doing the road at that time, and I would go into their radio station affiliates mm-hmm. and record, use their equipment, and send him stuff from the road. I did a song about his wife, Allison, to the. I did a, a Elvis Costello parody, but I did mainly original things for him that he liked, and then uh, went on a live trip with them and did their. He had, had the E show at the time. And I was featured on that a couple times, and it was it was really interesting to work in because that was he was on the cover of Rolling Stone at that time, and I went from MMR being so successful to being now I felt like when I traveled with them the level that it went it was like the Beatles he was on the cover of Rolling Stone yes. Private Parts was about to come out mm-hmm. and he couldn't have been uh, uh, bigger um, and here I am on the plane. David Lee Roth is on the plane. The Buttafucos are sitting next to me. <laughs> and I'm like, what? How did I get here? Yeah. And, you know, it caused a lot of problems with uh, some of my friends in Philly who thought I kind of turned my back on DeBella right. and everybody. But the truth is, DeBella and I were fighting for the last couple of years over content in the show and things like that. And then the situation with my brother and other un- really unfortunate things. Uh, it just felt kind of natural to, you know, to go to the Stern thing. But, God, it was kind of a... It was it was it was pretty heady, and it's time for me to to do something like that. Yeah. So all of all of Philadelphia was kind of uh, buzzing about that. So it was interesting. The shows changed from being like people yelling out MMR stuff to now it was like the Stern stuff, which was not relatable and a little too harsh. Like uh, I don't know if you know Man Cow from Chicago. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely aware of it. His yeah. father passed away, and Stern had me do a thing about his dad. I was I remember telling Fred. Geez, this is a little rough because I would send them stuff and they'd rewrite. Mm-hmm. And Fred would put, oh, I go, do I, you, 
can you not say my name on this one? You know, because it yeah. was because I don't I can't even say some of the stuff that you know this person's father passed away and right. they, they were just ruthless. Yeah, but as people off air, they were not. Stern it was the nicest guy. You know, always t- asking about you. He wasn't all about him. He was soft spoken. And then you go on the air, and it's like, whoa, Jesus. And the stuff that I did kind of feels whorish now to look back and go, oh, I wish I didn't do that song. How you long know? did you work for him? Well, I don't. I never got paid paid. I just did songs for them, and I got uh, my name mentioned quite a bit. That would have been from 94 until the first time I did Bob and Tom. And uh, Tom and I uh, kind of uh, were instant friends, and he said, you know, I, I'd like it if you didn't do that show ever again. I said, no problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, because he... He, he was very, very, I guess Stern came into the uh, Bob and Tom market and started to go after Tom a little bit. Yeah. So when I would, uh, when he heard of my lineage and the fact that I'd worked with Stern, he never really, I said, you know, he's actually a nice guy. He goes, he never really wanted to hear that conversation. I don't know what Stern said, but Tom being such a family man, it may have been something family related. But he took me aside and said, you know, I'd like it uh, if you do stuff with us and you never, you know, do the Stern show. So. I I haven't uh, I haven't done it since. Yeah, yeah. I've kept kept in contact with those guys, Gary specifically, Delabati Baba Bui, because he's like a really he's a really nice guy. You'd love him. Yeah, you know, big famous Baba Bui thing all over the country. He's got right. a book out and stuff, but he, he's a really good producer, and he gets yeah. teased quite a bit. He's actually a very nice guy. 